millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And on today's show, Sabalenka does the double in Ostrava. Sasha Zverev makes it two out of two in Cologne. And Ugo Umber comes back from the brink to win in Antwerp. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, another week on the ATP and WTA tours and the question on everyone's lips following on from our last tour catch up. Where on earth is Sam Query? Where where is that man? Because I feel like we've we, we've not really had any news this week on or any updates about his his whereabouts. Is he is he back in America? Is he is he laying low in Europe where well, we still don't know? Well, I gather that from the fact that we haven't had any news that he might well still be laying low somewhere. I mean, I hope I hope him and his family are, are well, but I feel like they're they're hiding out still. Perhaps they should. Um, I don't know. It's a bit like where's Wally, isn't it? It's like where's Query? We should find him, and uh, whoever whoever manages to 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 get that scoop is going to be. Uh, yeah, prime, prime, uh, prime article. I think when that comes out, I was I was waiting for the the main draws and all the qualifying draws for uh, next week's events to come up to see if his name would crop up. But alas, he still remains quite elusive to us, to the tennis authorities. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that that's been that that's kind of a story that I think is still going to be continuing because it is i think you know quite a big deal i think in this sort of new normal that we're, we're experiencing but we have had three tournaments uh to uh, get to grips with this week including um the one of the two tournaments uh left on the wta tour kind of post french open and that is where we're going to start because we're going to start in ostrava uh, WTA premier event. Um, a lot of a lot of players playing. A lot of players not playing because the, the situation in Czech Republic is not a good one. Joe Contour was one of those players who decided, nope, it's not for me. Um, but but one of those players who who realised it was for her was uh, Arena Sabalenka, who is the singles champion, but also the doubles champion. So let let's kind of start there because yeah, the final was Sabalenka versus. Azarenka and you know the kind of build up to this was all about the fact that Belarus you know a small nation but have got two you know two tennis players probably at the peak of their games at the moment um in a final and I think that was the first ever final um at kind of a, on a on the tennis tour um between two players from from Belarus Joel, now you've mentioned Belarus like twice in the space of 30 seconds. I've, I'm just You're thinking, thinking Eurovision, aren't you? I mean, no, yeah, because there's a song <laughs> and it was like called I Love Belarus. And there's just like these guys going, I love Belarus. And I just suddenly like thought of that song. Um, 
but yes, no, well, they've played before, haven't they? But never in a final. Mm. And I, I guess we were probably expecting a more competitive final. So it's a bit of a shame because Sabalenka won 6-2-6-2. You know, she played really, really well, but Vika wasn't quite, you know, at her best. She was um, struggling quite a bit with, um, well, it looked like her neck on the court, but later on she kind of said that she'd been having um, migraines since like the night before. So, I mean, if anyone out there, you know, has experienced migraines, I think we can all um, understand that, you know, it's basically impossible to really function uh, at your best uh, or even anywhere close to that when, you, when you're experiencing those. So a bit of a shame, uh, you know, bad timing for Azarenka in, in that respect. But um, yeah, Sabalenka, she normally peaks, doesn't she, at this time of the year? Because normally their WTA are out in China and Sabalenka loves uh, playing out in China. I think she's, I think this might be her first title actually in Europe. So she's, um, yeah, got a, her her seventh career title. And uh, yeah, con- continuing to kind of build momentum really as as she went through the tournament because she she didn't have it easy. I mean, let's talk about that match against Sarah Saribe's Tormo in the quarterfinal, Joel. I know what a bizarre scoreline! Score line. A crazy, <laughs> crazy scoreline. Sabalenka winning from six love, four love down, winning twelve straight games in a row to come out. Uh, love six six four six love victory um i mean for some of our old school listeners uh going back to the days of scoreboard stories um <laughs> this would absolutely 100 percent be one of those score lines on it because that is an that is an incredible you know that is an incredible fight back and and really kind of shows you know sabalenka can she does i, I think that almost kind of encapsulates almost kind of sabalenka's career really she can be at one moment very cold and then, you know, flick of a switch, she can be very hot. And, um, you know, that, that for me, yeah, really kind of typifies her, I think, as a tennis player and her brand of tennis, I think, to date. Because I, I still kind of think about her as a player who doesn't play with a lot of margin for error. And when it does come off, you know, she is an absolute kind of tormentor. And I think she showed that in the final. Because, I, I, you know, I was watching it. I felt like she did play, you know, almost kind of flawless tennis. And Azarenka couldn't really do much about it. Um but, you know, you always feel like she has those matches where, you know, she will give you a chance to, you know, to start well or, or win a set. But, you know, it, regardless of kind of the scoreline she's in or the situation she's in, she's just able to kind of just turn it on and, um, you know, snatch victory from the, the jaws of defeat. Yeah. And obviously the round before that, she had come back from 5-2 down in the last set against Coco Goff as well to, to win that one on the last set tiebreak. So definitely showing, you know, her fighting qualities and, and beating Jennifer Brady in the semi-finals as well. So she's obviously had some fantastic players to, to kind of beat en route to the title. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, Sabalenka? Because you feel like when she's on, you know, she can pretty much beat anyone. But when it comes to the grand slams, she's, I think her best performance is a fourth round. So it's kind of, curious as to why she hasn't sort of broken through uh to reach the the latter stages of a slam and do you think that's going to change next year joel what's going to be like the final thing that she needs to put it all together at a slam yeah i think obviously i think consistency is key because you know she's able to kind of almost be at one point a world beater and defeat someone you know of the caliber 
like an Azarenka, you know, straight set 6262 in the final. But she's going to obviously need to be able to put that together across the two weeks. And the fact that she hasn't reached a quarter final yet suggests to me that she hasn't necessarily got the consistency, even if she does have the, you know, the tools. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's a, she, I mean, she's a, yeah, she's a really good player. And, 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 and kind of just, just a word on Azarenka actually, because I was, I was watching that second set. Yeah. She did, she really did not look like she wanted to be there. And the, the, the time, the medical timeouts for her migraines were some, I've never, some of this, I felt like they were some of the strangest sort of, uh, medical timeouts I've seen. She had like a, a towel over her head. She was getting like a, a neck massage, um, from the, uh, the trainer on the court um it looked very it looked very odd and it it felt like yeah Azarenka was just not at her best today and she wanted to get off the court you know as quick quick as possible but I mean it's great I mean just kind of talking about kind of Belarus it's great to kind of see you know I guess you know from their point of view the fact that they've got two players at the peak of their game um in a final never happened before and it does give them something to kind of, you know, talk about and something to be proud of beyond that Eurovision Song Contest song. Um, <laughs> I mean, well. it, it, I think it bodes well. I think it shows that, you know, we know that they're a, you know, they're a threat in terms of kind of like the Fed Cup, but I almost kind of see Sabalenka and Azarenka. Is this the sort of kind of, you know, what, you know, what Enan and Kleisters kind of did for, for Belgium? Could Sabalenka and Azarenka do that for, for Belarus? Perhaps and and Joel actually the the best Belarusian Eurovision song was something called <laughs> Work Your Magic in two thousand and seven. Okay. <laughs> uh, listeners, YouTube it. I think they came about seventh. But anyway, uh, I digress massively. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, Azarenka's obviously continued her really good form. Like, I watched her semi-final against Maria Zachary, and you know she demolished um, Zachary. And you know Zachary wasn't playing badly. Just Vika was so so dominant. Um, and kind of ran away with it after like a bit of a tight first game, but yeah, such a shame, really. I mean, I'm I totally sympathise with with the neck massage. I think I could do with a daily neck massage. I mean, it looked great. I don't think Azarenka was feeling it, but I was like, oh, no, but yeah. I mean, gosh, I wish I could just, <laughs> I wish I could just have someone on call to come and like you know massage my neck but um, I hope she obviously gets better and um, yeah I mean I think for all intents and purposes the tournament you know it was it was obviously a a new tournament Uh, wasn't supposed to be in the calendar obviously because of all the changes it was brought into into the space and I heard sort of generally very good feedback from the players, um, you know, and obviously Sabalenka's had a a glorious time winning winning the doubles as well with with the Leeds Mertens so um we've got one more WTA event in Linz. Uh not this week. I think it might be the week after or, or early November. Um so a couple of weeks time. But uh yeah, I think uh it's a bit of a shame, I'm sure, for for Sabalenka and, and everyone that's performing really well. They probably want more and more tournaments so they can rack up those titles right now. But uh alas, that is not to be. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Kim, it's interesting because yeah, she won the she won the doubles and I'm just looking at her kind of grand grand slam record. Um, you know, third round, third round, second round, fourth round are her best results in singles, but her best results in doubles are quarterfinal, semi-final, quarterfinal, and then she won uh the US Open last year. Um so I wonder whether, you know, is she gonna be able to, you know, is she gonna have to dial down on the on the doubles potentially yeah. in order to make that that singles mm-hmm. breakthrough i i'm not you know i think that's a question she might have to kind of um you know discuss you know for herself but the fact that she's kind of able to kind of do that i think across all the court surfaces you know australian open 
French Open, Wimbledon, US Open. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a question that might be in the back of her head in terms of next season. Do I need to kind of, you know, in order to give myself a crack at, you know, potentially, you know, winning a, a Grand Slam, am I going to have to, um, you know, be a bit more selective in terms of uh, the, the sort of tennis I play? She could certainly test that out, couldn't she? And maybe just think, mm. right, I, I love doubles, but I'm going to just drop it like for X amount of time and see if that, you know, significantly helps my singles at the slams. I can focus on it. It, it might not, but obviously some other players have chosen to do that as well and, and drop, you know, drop doubles so they can really focus on singles. And you you don't know until you try, I suppose. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see actually if she does go down that route or not. Um, but let's have a look at, at the other tournaments that we had this week. So we had Antwerp, Joel. We had the European Open um, in Belgium, but w- which has been won the last two years by Brits. So we had Carl Edmund and Andy Murray as the last two champions. Um, I was genuinely thinking Dan Evans could make mm. it three Brits in a row when he had match points in that semi-final oh, against Hugo and Bear. Absolute heartbreaker. I know. Um, but it wasn't to be. He... Yeah, he was up in that second set tie break, 6-3, had had three match points and on the trot. And uh, yeah, Umber came back and uh, won in three sets. So, you know, Dan Evans did so well to, you know, to get to the semis. He beat, you know, Karen Hatchinov in the quarterfinals, um, saved a match point in that match. So very dramatic week for Dan Evans. But um, I mean, Umber played some fantastic tennis. We'll come on to that, Dan Evans. <laughs> of match in the set because that match almost kind of deserves its own podcast because there was so much ge- there was so much going on in that match but yeah sorry what, what were you going to say I was just going to say you know all credit to Ugo Umber you know he has played some fantastic tennis this week um, especially today in the final against Alex de Menor you know 6-1-7-6 he he was the dominant player today he was um, it wasn't broken at all on his serve you know, he was, um, yeah, he was very comfortable today. I mean, Dimonor, you know, took it to a second set tie break. But yeah, I felt like Umber was kind of on a roll uh, this week, especially after, you know, winning that semi against against Dan Evans. And yeah, he was, he's, he's won his second title of the year. I think he won Auckland at the start of the year. Um, so yeah, he's uh, he's making a, a sort of quiet name for himself. He's, he's around 38 in the rankings, but... Yeah, I guess you wouldn't want to face him on a on a given day, perhaps when he's when he's playing his best. He uh, yeah, he's only kind of like twenty two years old, but we don't really mm. ever kind of talk talk about him in this sort yeah. of circle of the next gen. And and I almost kind of think that that the fact that we do, are not talking about him as you know it means that there's been no sort of expectation and and pressure on his game, and it's meant that he can just kind of go about his business. And you know, you you watch him, you watch his kind of play I think he's one of the most sort of aesthetically pleasing players on the court he's got a very kind of good I think kind of technical game um and yeah he's almost kind of I think with this result I know it's a I know it's a, a kind of a 250 um but it's certainly a, you know something that I think people will look at and the fact that he's won you know two titles this year to you know to potentially think that you know this is a very good prospect um you know for the future for the future of um Sorry for the for the future of the ATB tour in terms of you know we're having another player you know in this almost kind of never ending kind of uh, you know line of, of next gen players add themselves into the conversation. This is another example of that because beat Demonor in the final and you know the more I kind of watch Demonor play, I always kind of think like 
I feel like he's known for his kind of movement around the court. And he almost, and that's great, but I almost feel like he needs to work on like, okay, once you, once you've got to the ball, what are you going to do with it? And yes, he can hit kind of really spectacular ground strokes and winners, but feel like there's more, more work for kind of de Menor to kind of doing that. And he can't just rely on, you know, have a, have a real kind of set of wheels to just get around the court basically. I always feel de Menor, like he doesn't really impose himself. He's not a very kind of, when he walks onto that court, I always feel like he's kind of slinks back a bit. I, I don't feel like he can really assert himself. I don't know. He just seems to me quite a slight figure. Um, and I, he still comes across to me as, as being very, very young and like he needs to sort of mature a bit more. And okay, fair enough. He is very young still, but yeah, I just don't get that kind of energy that I'm looking for when I watch him play. Um, but maybe that will come with, with time, you know. Um, but yeah, I just is really lacking that that extra something, I think. And I, I think, you know, I, I don't see him kind of making it in the same way as, as some of the other, you know, younger players of his generation, shall we say. Just finally on that point, because I do think like when you watch him play, he's like a grafter and he's like a hustler. Mm. It sort of, in a way, reminds me of Andy Murray, you know, back in, you know, very much back in the day when, you know, he was kind of, you know, in, in that phase. But, you know, Murray, I think, kind of went away and was kind of realised, look, I need to be more aggressive, you know, add some muscle mass. And that obviously paid, you know, very handsomely uh, in terms of dividends for him. And I think kind of de Menor needs to kind of think about, yeah, to your point, like how do how do I impose myself more on the court? Because I think he's being no, he's like well known for his movement, which is you know is one of the best on the on the tour. But I think he's going to need to add he needs to add a more you know more dimensions to his game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, let's let's talk about that quarterfinal with Karen Hatchinoff <laughs> and Dan Evans. Um, big controversy. Um, there was a, a terrible uh, call where one of Hatchinoff's um, shots was called out when it was, well, I think clearly in uh, as per what we were seeing on the TV cameras. And yeah, Hatchinoff kind of lost it uh, as you would, you know, expect because uh, there was, there was no Hawkeye. There was no possibility of, of that call being, you know, overturned or, or looked into. And yeah, big debate came about, you know, why is there no Hawkeye? Shouldn't they be having Hawkeye? How can you run a tournament without Hawkeye? Um, I mean, what's your take on that, Joel? It, it was a terrible call, but at the end of the day, you kind of got to get on with it, haven't you? If there's no Hawkeye, accept it and move on. I and mean, what do you think? Yeah, it was an absolutely horrendous call by the umpire, no less. It wasn't by the the line judge. It was mm. an it was an overall. Um, and I think kind of hit, watching it in the moment, I think Kachinov said to the umpire, "Look, we'll go, we'll go after, we'll go, we'll go watch it together after the game." Um, I I don't know if they did, but I would have, I would like to be a fly in that room if uh, if, if if they did. Because <laughs> um, yeah, it was you know, I mean, looking at the kind of the the you know the angle. Um, sorry, the, the TV visual of it, it's, it doesn't look good, um, for the umpire. But, um, yeah, I think it does raise an interesting point in terms of kind of Hawkeye and, you know, not having it. Does that feel surprising, you know, now on the ATP tour? Should it just kind of be, you know, applied every, you know, applied everywhere? And, you know, if, if not, then, you know, do players have to kind of, you know, accept that you're going to get, you know, bad calls like this? Because, you know, I think, you know, Kachinov was obviously very angry and you can understand it, you know, in that, 
you can understand that frustration in that moment, but you know, does he have to accept, well, you know, if I signed up to play for, you know, a tournament that doesn't have Hawkeye, I've got to be prepared to, to, you know, to unfortunately be on the end of one of these rotten calls. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, because of the COVID situation and, you know, the tournaments are struggling to actually put the event on, you know, they, they had to significantly reduce the prize money, um, for this year's tournament. And, you know, Hawkeye is, is, is a cost, you know, that the tournaments have to factor in when they're putting the tournament on. And I think that because of everything that's going on, the ATP have, um, allowed, I think two fifties to to not have Hawkeye. Um, normally, they would be, um, I think, obliged to have it at least on on the centre court. Um, but obviously, this year is is they don't have to have it if they can't afford it. Um, but yeah, like you said, given everything that's going on, you think if a player is going there and they know, okay, there's no Hawkeye, that's probably not going to stop them from going and playing it because at the end of the day, they need prize money, they need ranking points, they want to they want to be out and about playing. So it's kind of like you just kind of have to take it on the chin, don't you? It's 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 not the be all and end all. Like it's at the end of the day, it's like one point out of the whole match. And if you're going to kind of let that completely get your head, that's not great from a mental standpoint. You need to learn to overcome injustices, uh, be it dodgy line calls or you know or other such things. Just just adding on that, I mean, if you're a kind of a tournament organizer of one of these tournaments, I mean, what, what do you think their kind of take on Hawkeye is? Do you think, is it is it a necessity? Is it like absolutely essential to running my tournament? Or is it is it a luxury? Is actually, you know, I'm just looking to put a tennis tournament on, I, you know, I can't afford all the absolute all kind of bells and whistles. Um, because I think, you know, depending on the tournament, I think you'll get you know different stances and there are going to be tournaments probably at kind of the 250 level where hawkeye you know is is a luxury absolutely and maybe it will change things you know for the next couple of years we we don't know what the situation is going to be like financially within tennis and quite possibly there'll be a lot more tournaments who'll be saying actually this is something i could do without and we want to make sure that more money actually goes to the players so they can continue to kind of earn a living Hence, as a result, Hawkeye is going to have to fall by the wayside and the players will just have to kind of accept it. And just think back to the old days, you know, there was no Hawkeye then and they got on (laughs) with it. And, you know, some players got on with it slightly better than others. But, you know, it is kind of a modern luxury, isn't it? So, yeah, I think um, it's an interesting debate to have. And I've certainly personally learned more about kind of the cost of, of it, of installing you know the technology for a tournament and um you know learning about that side of things so but beggars can't be choosers at the end of the day can they joel and um yeah it it caused some interesting uh tennis viewing this week shall we say (laughs) i mean um, i I mean there is an argument i guess you know all that aggro (laughs) you know seeing that in that match because it it didn't necessarily just come from Kachanov. there was a fair amount of kind of um you know, aggression from Dan Evans as well. And, um, you know, I guess there's an argument, you know, from the fans point of view, you could be like, you know, this is great. This is great. You know, this is entertaining. Um, you know, it's like, it's fun, you know, it's fun to watch, you know, catching off, you know, hitting, you know, you know, hitting the, the advertising board and the, uh, on the court, you know, you know, is there an argument to say actually it was more, it just makes it more, uh, you know, fun to watch as a as a tennis fan, you know, versus I guess maybe the ATP kind of saying, well, actually, you know, if we want to put out a quality product here, do we need to kind of step in and be like, look, 
we're going to have Hawkeye at, at, at all events. And, and, and if tournaments can't help do that, maybe there's a fund that they can access from the ATP that can kind of help them put that on so they can help deliver a superior product. Mm. Maybe they could have like a, a fan board of people adjudicating. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be up for that. Voluntary work. Um, but yeah, I mean, we also had Cologne 2 uh, taking place, uh, which was a, a repeat of Cologne 1, pretty much. Uh, and we had the same champion. So yeah, Alex Verev has won Cologne twice in two weeks, uh, which is bit odd um i mean we, we nearly had the same final kim didn't we i know very, felix, very close. yeah fee, faa felix oj alisim uh lost his semi-final to diego schwartzman but yeah it could could well have been a, a complete replica of of last week's final but at the end of the day the same guy won uh two titles in two weeks and yeah i mean zverev sort of dominated uh, Schwartzman today 6-2 6-1 he played very very well um I think you know he was in the form that when he does play like that he he is pretty unplayable and um you know he got the win today in in spectacular style you know his his serve was was there today it wasn't you know he didn't have the heebie-jeebies on his on his serve <laughs> which was uh refreshing to see I mean, Zverev um, obviously has been working with with David Ferrer, and mm. you know Ferrer has really kind of done a really good job on his game in such a short space of time. Because Zverev, I do think Zverev on an indoor hard court, there is something about that that is just like a match made in heaven. Because he is very much a very aggressive player, very dominant, very hard to live with, and I think you know on his day on an indoor hard court, he is a match. He is a match for anyone, and I'm sure we're going to see that. Um, we're going to see that at the World Tour Finals in in London, um, but yeah, and you know, same you know, same result as kind of last week. <laughs> Just a word on on FAA. Um, I was kind of reading some comments saying he didn't he didn't fancy the final because you know he probably would have lost it again. So that's why he, he chose Aww. to lose in his he chose to Aww. lose in the semi final. Um, oh no, yeah. that makes me sad. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Schwar- <laughs> I mean, Schwartzman in the well again is one of you know probably with Sarah as well has probably been one of the players who's had a very very good um, kind of post lockdown um return to the the tennis tour ever since that you know marquee win he had against nadal um you know on the clay courts of rome he's really been able to kind of just kind of carry on from there whether that's on a clay court or a hard court um interestingly i've i was reading about cologne playing a little bit slower as you would typically expect from an indoor court um people saying antwerp very fast what you would expect but cologne actually was a little bit slower and that actually helped Schwartzman in 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 a sort of similar way that you know a clay court might do because he's able to kind of be that sort of and do that sort of counter punching um so that was kind of interesting to read because I did wonder kind of with Zverev whether um the fact that the Cologne court maybe was a little bit slower it meant that he was able to have a bit more time to kind of unleash his his ground strokes and that's why he you know has been so dominant over the over the last two weeks but um yeah very 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 good um from from Zverev and you know it'll give him a lot of confidence I think going into the world tour finals where I think he will I think he will be a threat and I think he'll be one of the favorites for the for the title yeah I mean if he can play like he did today then then for sure and obviously he you know won it two years ago as well and and Diego Schwartzman, he's been on Rafa's boat uh, last week before before <laughs> really? Cologne. He was he was yeah he was out in Mallorca 
on Rafa's new yacht. So I think that's probably done him in the world of good. And he um, he came back actually from a match point down in his quarterfinal against Davidovich Fakina. So yeah, he did really well to then get through to the final and, and kind of keep that that good uh, you know clay court form going uh, on the indoor hard. Um, but Joel Cologne too. I was you know they they had a live band going, which I thought was quite jolly. And um, I know they had this in Cologne one as well. But the uh, the mattresses at the side of the court. I know you're are you a fan of those the sort of lounge mm. mattresses. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, I'm more aware of when i was kind of when i'm watching the highlights i'm more aware of the ones like directly behind behind the behind players the court. they yeah. they look absolutely massive um <laughs> well yeah. they're because, i suppose <laughs> yeah because the I, I think the 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 reason for this is the um the the the, the sponsor for cologne is a is a, a mattress bed. company yeah, mattress company, yeah which i absolutely love by the way um so um yeah they've they've installed some mat- uh well some yeah mattresses behind the court and they do look they do look comfortable but but i was i was actually thinking though like they they almost kind of look too comfortable because it's like Just, yeah if, if you know with tennis you're always you're always kind of like oh i mean like if it's like on the edges of the seat you know you're looking forward you know it could be a tense moment and if you're just like on the back of the court, you know, behind the court, just like you're know, relaxing back into kind of one of these, uh, you know, mattress lounges, it feels like a bit like almost kind of a disservice to the to all the kind of the play that's going on. Well, I have to say, I have nodded off before um, <laughs> at Wimbledon <laughs> in Centre Court when, um, like, it's it's when I've camped overnight and I'm sort of sitting there the next day, and you know, you don't get much sleep in the queue, so you're like just sort of and it gets quite hot and stuffy especially if like the roof's closed or something and I have sort of nodded off and then I've you know when you jolt awake you're like oh (laughs) and if I'd been you know if they had those sort of mattress lounges then I would have been quite happy to sort of have a nice kip I think um especially when the arena is quite dark as well I I find the the bright lights as well as another thing that makes me quite like sleepy so uh yeah it would have been quite nice I think but uh great great advertising I'm sure for for bet one (laughs) I know. Um, yeah, it, I think, yeah, it, overall, it was a really, I think, well-run tournament. The other thing I would just say as a fan, I noticed um, just kind of watching watching the highlights. I don't know if any other of our listeners agree with me, but the, the camera angle for the onto the court, it felt so high up. And it was a bit of an odd, I feel like it was a bit, bit of an odd kind of yeah. TV angle. I hope it, I, I think it could, I, in an ideal world, I felt like it could have been a little bit lower to help kind of uh, visualize it for television. But, uh, you know, anyway. Um, but, but yeah, as, as I said, but yeah, it was a very good, it was a very good event for Sasha Zverev, who did the double and won Cologne one and Cologne two. Um, but we are going to take a short ad break now, but I hope you can join us after the break where we will be talking about Julia Gerges's retirement um, and diversity in tennis. So don't go anywhere. Okay, this is The Passing Shot. You're joined by Joel and Kim. And now we are going to move on to Mysterious Player. Kim, you gave me a Mysterious Player last week. I was terrible at it, um, predictably so. Now I is my opportunity now to get my own back because I've got a I've got a I've got a mysterious player for you. 
Amazing. Okay. I, I'm ready, Joel. I'm, oh, I haven't done this in ages. I've like been on the receiving I, end. So what have you got? I was making this, I was making this on the, on, I, I was getting a train yesterday and I was making this whilst waiting for the train on the platform. <laughs> just kind of like on a, on a chair, just like looking at this player's kind of Wikipedia and, and Is that seeing the first, the... is that the first clue? Is there any link to like a station in South London that might help? Um, no, no, not <laughs> oh, at all. Not damn. at all. Um, but okay. Are you, are you ready? Yeah, ready. Okay. Uh, I was born on the 6th of May, 1989. Oh, okay. So <laughs> 31 years of age. I know. Okay. A year older than me. Yeah. Gosh. Um, okay. Right. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to make a guess <laughs> after that. <laughs> I've got I've got nine clues as well. So that was your that was your first one. So the okay. second clue is I made my Grand Slam main draw debut in 2007 at the French Open, where I reached the third round. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I don't know if it's a man or a woman. Um, gosh, 2007. That's like the year I started watching tennis, like properly, like really got into it that year. So, hmm, 31. Um, oh, next clue. Okay. I retired at the end of the 2019 season. Lucy Safarova? Oh no, but she retired during the season or, or before then. Do you know, it, you? that is so funny you said that. It's not correct, but it's funny you said that for reasons that will become apparent very ah. soon. Is it another Czech player? <laughs> um, hmm. Andrea Lovachkova? Oh, that, I mean, no. No, okay. I've never heard of that <laughs> because I've never heard of that player before. I don't before. know if I'm saying her name right, but she's sort of of that gen. Okay, next, yeah. next, next clear. Um, my career high ranking was number four in the world. Oh, that's not far off. Lucy, I think she reached like <laughs> five in the world. Um, oh, hmm. I feel like so, it's a woman. Um, you might, you might be correct. <laughs> you might be. Ooh, um, Agnieszka Radvanska. Ooh, incorrect. Uh, incorrect. It's not Caroline Wozniacki. Oh, incorrect. No, she died this year, didn't she? At AO. Um. Mm, next clue. Next clue. Okay. I won the WTA finals in 2014 on my debut appearance. Oh, lordy. 2014. <sighs> not Anna Chak for Tadzi. No, no, absolutely not. She was no. a bit earlier on, Incorrect. wasn't she? <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nadia Petrova was too early as well. She's Incorrect. much older. Yep. Um Oh my gosh, I should know this. Ah, <laughs> I've got two um, more clues that I think you could... I've got four okay. more clues in total. Um, oh, yeah. is it another... another? Is it a Czech player or another Ru- Russian, maybe? Mm. Mm. Next clue? Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> my best 
career Grand Slam result was reaching the final of the Australian Open. Oh, oh, I know, Dominika Sibulkova. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes. yes, there we go. There we <laughs> that go. was in 2014. I was uh, there. Yes, it was. Yes. Yep. Oh, you were there for it. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I was watching that in Fed Square. Amazing. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, oh, that's a good you, one. Yeah. Can you think, I've got a really good fact, actually, about uh, Sibulkova and Lucy Safarova. Can you think maybe what it is? <laughs> and this was going to be my next clue. Um, they went to the same tennis club when they were younger. I don't know. I mean, one. I mean, dead from different countries, but you know, mm. neighbours. Um, I mean, so, I know that Lucy's obviously done really well in doubles. I don't think Sibulkova had quite a good doubles career, but I'm not so sure. So my next, my next clue was going to be my final match was at the 2019 French Open in the first round with my doubles partner Lucy Safarova. Oh. And what was really interesting about that match was it turned out to be both of those players' last matches. They oh. both were played, um, oh. purely by coincidence. Um, so, yeah, um, she was born in Bratislava, Slovakia yeah. as well. Yeah, um, I had the best hot chocolate in Bratislava many years <laughs> ago. It was it was quite it was just from a truck and it was great. Um, I think they've both had children as well now. I think they've both had babies. Mm. Um I always remember Sibulkova. She was like the queen of the of the lift selfie. She would always post these like amazing oh, really? selfies. Okay. Yeah, on Instagram. I mean, um, she she yeah. also has her the the my final clue was she also has a signature expression on court, uh, which is I'm probably saying this wrong. It's poem poem pome pome pome. Yeah, and yeah, I got it wrong. Yeah, which is a, a native. Yeah. <laughs> native translation of kind of come on let's go um yeah, i think it's so like yeah. podged, um it's like pomet yeah it's like her thing but uh because she married her coach didn't she or, or her husband is her coach mm, or i think yeah, I think yeah. something like that um oh that's 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 a good one joel thank you very much <laughs> listeners how how did you go with that one were you did you get it quicker than not? quicker than i did um but yeah great stuff joel um it's now time for the passing shot mailbag so we have had a email from danielle who got in touch um it's about rafa my fave um rafa has announced he'll be playing paris Percy, which was perhaps surprising because i think many of us thought we was just gonna forego the rest of the season um which suggests he's eyeing up both Paris Bercy and the ATP finals. Do you think 2020 could finally be his year to win both of them? Uh, because they are events he has never previously won. What do you think, Joel? Oh, that is a very good question because yeah, normally, yeah, because we, we always get to this part of the season where, you know, he's sort of knackered, sort of injured and doesn't really, even if he does turn up, doesn't really perform that well. Um, he's, yeah, cause I, I, yeah, I do know he's never won the, the world tour finals. Um, do I think he could do, do it this year? Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, why not? I mean, 2020 is a, it's been a weird year. Let's be honest. Um, this wouldn't be the most surprising thing that's happened. Um, you know, he's played obviously very well. You know, he played very well at, you know, on the, on the clay in, in Paris. Um, you know, he's giving himself almost, it, it feels like if that is the case, it's almost kind of Paris will be his kind of lead up event to the world tour finals. Um, I feel like he could win, um, Paris Bercy given that I know Djokovic is not playing it. He's playing in Linz. Um, 
So, Vienna. Uh, sorry, Vienna. Why don't <laughs> I keep saying it? Join the WTA for a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I can see that World Tour Finals, though. Mm, that's that's going to be a tough competition, I think. Um, particularly with Djokovic. Um, you know, Djokovic on a on an indoor hard court is not the same as Djokovic on a clay court in Paris. So indoor clay I court. think. I think, I think, I think he could win Paris. I still, I still, I still can't see him winning the world tour fight. I think there's too many, it's going to be too many danger men there for him to, to go and do it with, you know, such a short, you know, in, in, we've given himself such a kind of short run up to the event. What do you, what do you think? Well, you're allowed to lose matches at least at the uh, world tour final, you know, in the group round robin. But yeah, I think, uh, I see what you, I, yeah, Paris is almost like the warm up to London, but then actually, because of Djokovic not being there, Paris is perhaps the one, yeah, that Rafa's more likely to win. But I mean, as a Rafa fan, I'll take either or both because he's never won either of them before. He's got to the final of both, but, um, I do think that that's part of Rafa's motivation for like actually thinking, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go for this because like he's so much fresher than he would normally be. And this, I think this is the year that he has the best chance. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, from a, a a Rafa fan perspective, I would I would love him to like to finally tick those ones off. I think that would be, and also you know Novak's now got the most Masters titles. He's got thirty six Masters oh, titles yes, in total. And I think yep. obviously Rafa maybe is looking at that record. I know he's not really as motivated by kind of numbers and stats, but you know I'm sure that there's an element of that thinking. You know, I could I could level up if I if I took Paris. Yes, well, we shall see. Um, moving on to other news uh, this week in the tennis world, we had uh, German Julia Gerges announce her unexpected retirement on social media on Wednesday. You know, uh, let's let's kind of do a quick kind of reflection, Kim, on on Gerges's career. I mean, seven career singles titles, five doubles titles. Uh, she did crack the top ten. Her career high ranking was number nine. I mean, 479 career wins. I mean, that's nothing to be sniffed at. And yeah, I think she's had remarkable longevity. I think she's had like 15 years on on the tour. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think for me, I think she's, yeah, I think that long longevity just kind of says everything in terms of that she was a very kind of solid, you know, solid player that, uh, you know, had a, you know, had an obvious peak, um, you know, got the most out of her, you know, undoubted talent on the court. Um, and yeah, I mean, she, she reached the kind of, you know, mixed doubles final, you know, French Open, cracked the top 10. I mean, she can't really m- ask for, you know, much more from that, I think, given sort of the, you know, the, you know, her, you know, her, you know, her ability on, on a tennis court. Yeah, I think she, um, she reached the Wimbledon semi-finals, I think, in uh, 2018. Uh, which was her best run like at a slam um, in the singles. But other than that, I think, you know, she was sort of one of those fairly consistent players. She reached the fourth round, I think, at each of the each of the slams. And she's always sort of there and thereabouts. And, you know, she's obviously won a couple of couple of titles and I think she won Auckland twice. And yeah, in my in my mind's eye, she's sort of on her day, she could pull off a, a big win, a bit of an upset perhaps. But you'd never sort of pick her to necessarily, you know, go all the way. And um, I think she's done extraordinarily well. She's actually only one of three Germans to have earned a top 15 ranking in both singles and doubles. So obviously very consistent across the board. Um, so yeah, it's uh, maybe she'll be a future mysterious player 
Joel. Ooh, I think that would be appropriate. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she goes into coaching or, or anything, or if she's off going off to have a family or something along those lines, or if we'll see her back on the tour in some capacity. Who knows? She might have a second a second go of things, a la so many other players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think her consistency is probably the, the biggest sort of, I think, legacy to the tour. Seven top 50 seasons. I mean, very, you know, I think very, very, very solid. And yeah, as you said, on her day could, you know, beat someone in, in the top 10, you know, in terms of an upset and kind of reach the, you know, maybe, you know, pushing kind of second week at Grand Slams and, and beyond that, to be fair to her. Um, but yeah, I think one of the, you know, great player um, that will be missed um, on the WTA tour. I mean, looking at kind of the outpouring of, um, you know, motion on from other players on on social media, it shows that she was such a, you know, character um, and will, yeah, will be sorely be missed on the, on the WTA tour. So moving on to our final topic of the episode of of this episode of the Pastor actually, and we're going to be talking about diversity in tennis, which has come up uh, this week. We've had some comments from Andy Murray. We've had some comments from Coco Goff, particularly around uh, yeah issues that I think you know are relevant on a global scale. But we've also seen it, you know, in terms of issues on a British scale as well. And we'll kind of start there for for kind of British fans, but. You know, kind of looking at uh, Wimbledon, um, we've we've had the announcement this week that former British number one Anne Kiofovong, um looks set to join Wimbledon's main committee as its sole BAME representative. Now, for our global listeners, BAME is Black, Asian, and minority kind of ethnic individuals. So, um, you know, Wimbledon are obviously adding to their, um, you know, making sure that they are you know, are represented with a kind of a diverse board. And this almost kind of feels like the first, you know, stepping, stepping stone to that. It was interesting because I think, you know, we, we saw comments kind of come out from the last, the last black player to reach the, you know, the Wimbledon final, Malavai Washington. Men's final, Joel. Men's, yeah. <laughs> obviously (laughs) saying kind of yeah we need more role models for for ethnic kids and you know Wimbledon I feel like I've kind of responded to this and and to be fair they probably might have been looking at this you know previously as well but I think they've kind of you know almost kind of taken this on board to be like look yes we need to kind of make sure that we are more diverse more inclusive and as a result of that they brought Ang Kjofovong into the picture Kim kind of where do you kind of stand on this because I know this is kind of a big meaty topic that we can't really solve we can't solve this in you know the final the final bit of our podcast but it certainly feels like a, a a conversation that at this very moment is a very kind of poignant one and a very important one you know for for british tennis but also for ch- for tennis as a whole yeah for, sh- for sure i mean i i fully welcome you know anki othfong joining the committee but i do think that they need to go a lot you know, further than just having, you know, one person out of, out of 12, you know, coming from essentially a not, you know, a non-white background. Um, I think there are going to be three other new representatives on that board. So I, I would just really hope that they, they go further and they don't just think, okay, we've got, you know, we've got someone on there from a Bain background. Let's, you know, we can tick the diversity box because it's, that's just not going far enough. Um, same with the LTA as well. I think, I think obviously their their board as well, their governing, you know, the governing body there, like they they have a very severe lack of BAME representation as well, and I I think that's obviously a, a big goal for them to to also increase kind of representation. 
um and i i hope that they they are serious about that and they don't just kind of do it as a publicity thing to kind of you know keep up with kind of all that the public kind of you know expectation i think i really hope that they actually you know are seriously committed to this and uh it's not just kind of like ticking boxes kind of thing you know um i know there's been a bit of criticism about the fact that they've just kind of elected Ankyothron without any kind of um proper kind of process like people having a vote or something um i don't know exactly how it works with the, how they you know elect people onto the onto the board so I'm, I'm not best placed to comment on that but but yeah it's it's a start but they need to go a lot further um because i i think we all agree that obviously you know tennis is a very you know white middle class sport and like especially in the uk i just genuinely don't think there's enough openings or in terms of it's kind of i don't know it, how people view it it's still seen as a very elitist you know class-based sport um very white sport and that i that, that does really need to change yeah and it's interesting because andy murray this week posted on instagram saying kind of tennis in in 2020 you know he again was kind of highlighting the sort of the the lack of presence of you know diversity in the sport and you know from that actually Coco Goff I think in one of her press conferences in Ostrava kind of was saying Andy Murray is a great ally um you know for highlighting diversity issues and um you know you you would hope that kind of yeah once kind of Murray I think is you know done with his playing career you know he can be used as a force for good in kind of you know making sure that these issues you know using his platform you can make sure that these issues are heard because it does feel like something there is uh, there's still a lot of kind of work the work to be done with um and i think that's the same i think you know across the you know i think that's the same across kind of globally as well um you know we've got you know all these kind of up and coming you know future stars you know players like Coco Goff, Naomi Osaka. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, is one of the things we love about tennis is that it's so multicultural in terms of, you know, you can have a tennis court literally anywhere in the world. And, you know, that's great. But it almost kind of needs to make sure that once we get to that sort of elite level, we're still almost kind of representative of that sort of, you know, complete kind of holistic sort of appeal that, you know, tennis has across the world. Yeah, I mean, Coco Golf and Naomi Osaka are doing wonders, I think, you know, with, with, you know, especially like, for example, in Cincinnati, you know, Osaka and the, um, you know, the days delay, the pause in play, like that sort of um, focus on, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, other issues, um, you know, in terms of, you know, diversity in, in the sport as well. But yeah, it's a star. It's great that we've got people like Andy speaking up and, and being an ally. You know, he's obviously been um, a force for good as well in terms of highlighting kind of gender disparities and and the kind of inequities between, you know, the women's um, tour and and female players compared to the male players. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? There's so much you could kind of go into and it's it's going in the right direction, but I wish it would speed up. That's kind of my last yeah. take on it today. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, because I think, you know, coronavirus, I mean, yeah, we generally talk about, um, you know, I think a lot of trends have been sped up by, uh, you know, 
this mm. kind of global pandemic and yeah it almost kind of feels like this is one of those issues we almost i feel like want to be sped up as well because it, yeah it feels like that you know tennis has a, a lot of work to be done um but yeah let's let's kind of finish on looking ahead to next week um we've got a couple of tournaments we've got vienna um an atp 500 and we've got the astana open in kazakhstan i know kim last week you were very much looking forward to uh to that one um let's kind of just have a quick look at the uh main draws uh for the tournament so in vienna return of novak djokovic um i mean this is one of my favorite events i think in the calendar year really it's just such a nice a nice setup i mean looking at the the draw i mean it's it's really got some tasty kind of first round matches i mean i'm, I'm kind of my eyes are drawn to casper Ruud versus yannick sinner um we've got Kane Nishikori versus Dominic team I mean there's some really there's some really tasty matchups there what what does any and what what kind of appeals to you well Sinner yeah fresh off a Cologne to semi-final um he lost to Zverev in that um yeah I mean we've got uh Grigor against Hachinov you know Sitzbastruf I mean it's yeah team Nishikori I mean that's probably not going to be as exciting as it sounds given Nishikori's kind of poor form coming back but still Dominic team hasn't played in a couple of weeks you know maybe uh he won't have the, the greatest day but you know he's in his home turf isn't he so yeah Dan Evans has got a qualifier we don't know who that is yet uh but yeah it's a loaded draw and Kazakhstan is is less loaded you know Benoit Pair <laughs> is the top seed um but actually wouldn't it be nice if Benoit Pair won after all his troubles covid um i bet he's got the fear of god in him every time he has to take a test now yeah. after all this uh doing very and throwing. True. very, very but, true um, i mean cam, cam nori is also playing in kazakhstan so i mean he's got an opportunity there i mean he's got the he's got jordan thompson who i think is the eighth seed mm. in the first round so good good opening test for him um so yeah we'll see we'll see how those kind of continue lloyd harris as well i think has been a player who well who's troubled kyle Edmund, but has also had a I think a very solid couple of weeks on the tour um so he might he might fancy his chances as well but um yeah let's let's wait and see but um yeah i think that kind of wraps it up really for for this episode of the passer shot we've still got we've still got tennis to come i mean we've got a few more events on the atp side than the the wta side i think we're literally down to the last wta event um in a week's time in in Linz, I can finally say it, Kim, in Linz. Um, but um, yeah, we will be back um, as always. I think next week uh, we'll be wrapping up maybe a mini catch up on the events uh, from this week in in uh, Vienna and in Kazakhstan. So I hope you can join us then. But um, yeah, in the meantime, uh, if you've been enjoying listening to this podcast, uh, The Passing Shot, make sure to subscribe to us so you can hear get the latest from us whether that's on apple Podcasts, spotify overcast castbox stitcher wherever you listen to us make sure you hit that subscribe button and if you are enjoying the show um remember to leave us a rating and comment if you are listening to us on apple Podcasts. and you can follow us on social media on twitter instagram and facebook we are there at passing shot pod and if you'd like to email us email us as well you can do so passingshotpod at gmail.com uh, do give us a shout let us know your thoughts any feedback any comments any questions um yeah we love to hear all your thoughts on what's going on in the tennis world so do give us a shout 
and we will be back next sunday evening to do another catch-up uh from the from the atp tour so i hope you can join us then for that who knows kim maybe maybe we will find out where sam query is um <laughs> <laughs> but uh i hope yeah. so i hope so i'm still taking <laughs> taking a pun I'm, I'm gonna yeah i don't know get get the map of europe out and <laughs> pin a pin a pin in it somewhere i don't yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah for, but for the time being uh yeah i hope you all have lovely weeks and we'll see you again shortly I wish Kazakhstan would join Eurovision because then, you know, when they have this tournament every year, I can start singing like Kazakhstani songs. Although they had an excellent band at the Davis Cup last year, didn't oh, they? Oh, did they? Oh, yes, yeah, they did. You were actually, there. Yeah. You were there, Joel. We, we played oh, my God. Yeah, they made a lot more noise, didn't they? Than, I'm not going to lie. They did make quite a bit of a racket. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.